Okay, all fired up. Going to keep half an eye on the router tonight because I don't think it's going to be particularly reliable. Um, so let's put the call through to Nick. Click. Oh, this will be an exciting roller coaster this evening. Right. If you say something now. Something now. Yes, I heard you, but this seems recording my side of the conversation. <clears throat> it is or it isn't? It, it is, I think. Yes, oh, it is. Oh, well, okay, that's fine. That's all we need. My stuff's going, like, the, the readout is going the way it's supposed to be. When I did that noise, I was doing this thing with my fingers to indicate oh, don't, that it was going uh, I don't want to know. Down. No, that it was going up and down. But, I still um, don't want to know. Okay. I don't understand. <laughs> what I was suggesting was that you were doing something inappropriate mm-hmm. and potentially sexual with your fingers. Ah, no, I wasn't doing that. Okay. Probably. I'm not sure. Uh, oh, fuck. And it's gone again. Right, okay. And I'm going to switch the router off and on again. We'll try that. I've lost you again, dude. Apparently the version of myself I am when I'm on my own is quiet. Hello? Hello, I'm back. Uh, Skype didn't even sound sure that time. It kind of went... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's this weird little pause. I don't know. <laughs> uh, mm, I don't know. Maybe I'll call back later. Bye. Unanswered. So I want to put a hypothetical um, to you to to start proceedings, if I may. Yes. I want you to um, imagine a man. It, it, his name isn't important. Where he lives isn't important. But um, he's a man of age. He's an old man. Yes. And uh, he's he's been playing the lottery regularly for a, a long time. Weekly, he's been buying lottery tickets, and he's been doing that for several years. Right. And then uh, shortly after his 98th birthday, his numbers come up. He wins the lottery. Ah, He's there, he's watching the show, and uh, these lottery numbers come up, and he gets very excited. Maybe he thinks to himself, well, I won't tell anybody, you know, it's getting a bit late now, I'll, I'll tell people tomorrow, make the phone call tomorrow. So he goes to bed, and, uh, and he dies. Wow. So what I would ask you is, in that situation, would you consider that to be ironic? Well, no, I, I think that's, that's just terrible. That's terrible, Steve. It's quite a tragic story, isn't it? It's it's making me. I'm actually feeling feeling a little bit teary. I don't know why you've started this conversation like that. Um, no, I, I don't think I don't think that's really irony by any decent definition of the word. It's a shit. Mm. Um, it's an unfortunate situation. I don't think it's even a coincidence, to be honest. Would you not? Would it not even be considered dramatic irony? Ah, now dramatic irony is something different. I believe. I believe uh, adding the word dramatic to the word irony almost <laughs> entirely changes the meaning of the word irony. 
I think if you're looking at the old man situation from his point of view, yes, or from one of his friends' point of view, or from the lottery people's point of view, um, that isn't ironic. Ironic. It's just unfortunate. It's incredibly unfortunate. But if you're looking at it from the perspective that someone is telling this as a story mm. to try and make some sort of point about how funny life is, or 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 not funny, how incredibly tragic life is, or how everything might seem to be all coming up roses, but it, but then it doesn't. Then maybe from the from the point of view of being um, a storyteller or having a story told to you, maybe there is a dramatic irony in place. I think. Well, um. I'll, I'll run a couple more by you then, and, and we'll see how this works out. So, okay. um, let's say, for example, you've gone, um, you've gone to the restaurant in Ikea. You've gone for uh, the spaghetti and meatballs, um, but you've opted for chips, maybe. Right. And you pay for it, and then you've got your tray there, and then you go to where all the cutlery and condiments is, and there is literally 10,000 spoons in front of you, and you really need a knife. Huh. That is atrocious customer service, is what that is. Mm. That someone's dropped the ball um, in IKEA catering. It's not really ironic because, well, it's not even really. A, I mean, it's not. A, it's not coincidental. It's not as if this is just something that happened that the world threw at you. It was somebody's job, an actual person's job, to make sure there was enough of every different sort of cutlery for everyone. Yeah, and there wouldn't really be a shortage of that in IKEA. No, you wouldn't think that there's there's like they sell them. I think in the shop, don't they? Yeah. So um, no, that isn't that isn't ironic. That is just shocking. I mean, I think you'd have to write someone some form of letter or at least complain. Mm. I know we're British, so we might not like to complain. But well, to be honest, we probably would complain. But but we'd we'd make the person feel really guilty that they'd made us feel feel really guilty about doing it. <laughs> but no, I don't I don't think that's irony either because that's just. A sequence of decisions that people have made, um, possibly even willfully, does it become less about fate and how weird life is and stuff if someone uh, specifically decided they were going to fuck over the customers by only having spoons? Someone might have made a decision to ruin your day like that. Kitchen porters are a nightmare. I've been one. So that's that one. No, I don't think that's irony either. Yeah. So it could be poor customer service. It could be spite. Yeah. They're the causes, though, aren't they? Would the effect be ironic? Would you look at that and go, oh, how ironic? Or would you actually be incensed because you're like, come on, this should be simple. You'd be incensed. I'm I'm getting that feeling from you that you probably wouldn't look at it going, oh, well, I guess I'll just use a spoon. Well, no, I I mean, in in actual fact, I probably would do exactly that. But I think that's different from, I mean, I wouldn't, irony in the sense that I believe you're you're potentially suggesting it might be being used in this instance, would seem it's like a coincidence. It's like a confluence of unusual events to create an unusual outcome. Whereas something like that, I'd probably go, well, it's just typical. It actually seems more typical than anything else. Mm. The world seems to serve up things like that quite regularly. To be honest, I've never been in the restaurant in IKEA. I don't I don't want to sully the name of IKEA. Maybe it's very rare in there. <laughs> But someone like BHS, you know, definitely all the Debenhams, mm, mm. yeah, it's, it's quite likely to happen there. More forgotten and potentially understaffed, that could be more of an issue. Yeah, I think IKEA take uh, customer experience quite seriously, is the impression I've always got. 
I mean, it would be a poor show for them, wouldn't it, really, if they didn't have all of the different sorts of cutlery there at your disposal, considering they're exactly the same pieces of cutlery that you can buy Mm. in the same store. So if they screwed that up, then they're sort of affecting their own sales. Yeah, I mean, what might annoy me a little bit is if um, I, I I went, I might get incensed if I, I did go up and ask if they had any other cutlery, and we were right near, we were within sight of where they were selling it on the shop floor, and they just went, no, don't know, mate. <laughs> um, but again, I, I don't think that would happen in Ikea. Hmm. Are they a sponsor now? <laughs> uh, no. Oh, okay. No. Uh, no sponsors for us. In fact, no commercial interests, which is probably a mistake with the millions of listeners that we have. Yeah. Or, or at least thousands, I'm certain. Okay, so there are two examples there, which we're unsure whether they're ironic or not. Um, other examples would be uh, rain on your wedding day, um, a free ride when you've already paid, uh, or even good advice that you just didn't take. Well, look, okay, rain on your wedding day... We live in England. Pretty much anywhere in Britain, that isn't ironic. That's just something that you should have planned for. And if I remember rightly, on your wedding day, there was a bit of drizzle. There was a little bit of drizzle just outside the uh, the hall. Um, not the hall, the uh, Civic Centre, but once we got to the hall, it was delightful. Yes. It all turned out quite nicely. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it's quite lucky if you've planned your wedding at a time when it is quite likely to be rainy, which is most of the year round here. Um, it's more lucky if it doesn't rain than unusual if it does. Mm. Or ironic. What were the other examples? Uh, a free ride. When you've already paid. Yeah. See, that's just, there's cognitive dissonance at play there, because if you've paid, then the ride wasn't free, because you've, you've paid for it. That is, that, in the way that it's worded, it is quite an odd one, because if, it, if, if you'd already paid, but it was a free ride, then wouldn't they just go, no, this one's free, here's your money back? Yeah, well, how will you ever know? That's exactly right. That one doesn't even stand up. And I'm not, no. I'm not sure the good advice that you just didn't take is, is irony at all. There's nothing sort of ironic going on there. If someone's offered you good advice and you didn't really pay attention to it, then at most that is a moment of hindsight that occurs to you later. Mm. I wouldn't ever say that's irony. You see, the thing is, all of these um, hypotheticals came out a long time ago, you know, close to 20 years ago now. Do you think Alanis Morissette ever regrets writing that song? She must have had a lot of correspondence by now, just pointing out that actually some of this stuff, it's it's not ironic. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> she must have, but she probably deflected it all with all her money. Oh, yeah. And a difficult second album or something. <laughs> difficult. Is it sophomore? You see, that's another word. I don't know what that means. No, no, you're right. Sophomore, yeah. It's sophomore or sophomore. See, I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce it, but I think I do know what it means. I've got a dictionary and an internet at my disposal, so I can quickly correct myself if I'm wrong. The internet's making it easier and easier to check what words are. Google now has it built into their process. You, you may never have to go to dictionary.com again. Yeah, I mean, I think irony is one of those words that, um, because it's quite a clever word, it's quite a clever concept, people like to point out, and by people I mean, like, me, and, and you, and the comedian Ed Byrne. Um, Only him. 
yeah, like to point out that um, that people misuse it. And then, of course, I reckon people were probably pointing out that other people, pr- probably passive aggressively pointing out that other people were getting it wrong for ages and ages and ages. And then Alanis Morissette turned up and made herself the lightning rod for this. It's possible she was performing in public service. Maybe she knows what it means. But she was performing a public service for all of the people who are being bullied by word monsters. I guess if those items were being presented to you in a discussion, they they might not necessarily be ironic. But if then it's used in a song to put forward a a bigger point, then then it almost becomes a literary technique, doesn't it? In which case... I mean, you can argue whether technically it would stand whether it would stand up as as a piece of irony but does it get more wiggle room then if it becomes a a technique i'm actually looking at um the uh dictionary definitions the dictionary of alanis morissette of no not alanis morissette in this instance i might look her up in a minute um, and I've been throwing around that the the term dramatic irony quite a lot. I, I noticed you did as well, but I I feel like I've been doing it for many many years, and I don't think I've necessarily understood what it meant either. And um, what it apparently means is it's a noun, and it is irony that is inherent in speeches or a situation of a drama, and is understood by the audience but not grasped by the characters in the play. So, I, as I understand it, that would be something that's set, something that a character gets wrong, that has um, an effect on the audience. The audience understands that the character's got it wrong, but the character themselves doesn't. Um, whereas irony that isn't dramatic, irony when someone actually says someone uh, is actually being deliberately ironic, it's when they say something, but it's the opposite of what they mean. We'd call it sarcasm in a lot of cases. That's a lovely dress. Yeah, it, it isn't a lovely dress. Oh, I'm a. I'm really, really impressed at your uh, your ability to uh, shag a different person every night. Um, most of the time, you're not. You know, especially not if it's your partner. Um, the thing I apparently do quite a lot for hilarious effect. <laughs> um, I've discovered just now is called Socratic irony. Oh. After Socrates, I believe. I should hope so. Which is pretended ignorance in discussion. Except that makes it sound really annoying. Is there a a different term for when you do it for humorous effect? Or is it still annoying when you do it that way? Well, I mean, you'd think that if you were were feigning ignorance in a discussion, you probably would be doing it for a dramatic effect. For a comedic effect. For a comedic effect, beg your pardon. Yeah, rather rather than just be a dick. You probably wouldn't just be doing it to lie about what you knew. Why else would you bother? I think that uh, humour is definitely the best reason to do almost anything. I don't know, this gets very complicated. Once you start to really think about what words actually mean, it becomes quite difficult to use them, doesn't it? Yeah, I I might just not bother anymore. (laughs) If I couldn't communicate everything I needed with a series of facial expressions, so real-life emoticons, I think, is what I'm actually putting forward. Oh, you should be able to get most stuff across. Yeah. In fact, I, I have a real-world example of this, but this is this is not misunderstanding stuff deliberately. This is using what I know about human communication to get myself out of difficult social situations. And I've, I've probably described this to you before, maybe even on the podcast, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, I am a Greek Cypriot, but I don't speak any Greek. In the past, I used to be quite like stubborn, and when I was a teenager, I was like, well, I don't care. I don't, I don't want to speak Greek. I don't need to. All of my mates are English. But as time uh, went on and I actually visited Cyprus, 
and was away from my family so really mm. it just came across when people recognized that i was greek and tried to talk to me in greek most of the time i'd politely go oh i'm sorry i don't speak any greek and then they their entire facial expression had changed and they'd pity me or, or i'd end up just coming off like a dick and oh, what you're greek but you don't want to talk to me you don't want to talk to me in greek but they're there so um i realized there were a couple of terms i did know in greek one is engadalavo which means I don't understand, which is quite honest. And normally mm. if you say it enough times with a smile, a dumb smile on your face, people think, well, either you don't understand English, uh, even, you don't, even you don't understand Greek, but at least you're sweetly dumb about it. You obviously realise how stupid it is you don't speak Greek, so we're not going to give you a hard time about it. Or they just assume you're, you're a bit soft in the head. And the other one, which is slightly better, this is where it gets really clever, is... Um, Enixeri, which means I don't know. The good thing about that is that if you laugh and shrug, you can kind of tell when people are talking at you when they're telling you something that they think of as a joke or they're telling you something if, for example, they bring your food out and then they kind of seem to be making a joke at the expense of whoever made the food or something like that. Or you can you can see their bosses in the background making disapproving noises at them and they kind of say something to you and sort of look over their shoulder at the person as if they're taking the piss out of them. Then you can say, Enixeri, uh, but if you do it with a laugh and a shrug, it sounds like, yeah, I don't know, people are assholes, aren't they? Or something like that. You can you can get away with a lot. If if someone seems to be telling you about a news story or something, you can go, I don't know. It's a crazy world, isn't it? I think I do that a lot in life as well, though. Do you um, ever kind of use a shorthand? Because, again, when I think you're a bit like me in that you're not really into football. Correct. Yeah, and um, and I've never really fit in with chaps with blokes particularly in the past i used to sort of wear it as a bit of a badge of pride oh this is a much better example than the greek cypriot thing um and so i'd be like oh, i don't like football i think it's a load of rubbish but in more recent years i've realized that uh, on the one hand that can just make more of a fuss than you really want to make um if someone starts talking to you about football um sometimes they're a perfectly nice person but you might provoke them if mm-hmm. you say uh, to be honest i think all competitive sport is barbaric um or, or something like that and uh, and other times you know they're just a perfectly nice person and and why would you be a dick to them about it it's just something that that they get pleasure from maybe they used to um i don't know maybe they used to go to football matches with a departed parent or something like that sure yeah um these days sometimes i will just kind of I won't pretend I know particular players, but I'll make conversation a little bit. I won't claim any knowledge necessarily, but if someone strays into ground where I might be able to blag it a little bit, like I will say, oh, if we go around to someone's house and they're watching football, I'll go, oh, that didn't look like a good tackle. That guy, oh, he's faking that sort of thing. And I'm, I really don't have a clue what's going on. This is going nowhere. <laughs> I use football as an example. This could be tennis. It could be the Olympics. I have in the past uh, pretended to know stuff about routes to and from places. Which roads are the best way to get to places? Because um, it's really easier than um, admitting I've never known how I got anywhere in my entire life. Geographically, I mean. I don't know how roads or cars or any of that stuff works which is reassuring because I'm about to start learning to drive, so... 
but then that means by by learning to drive and learning how to work a car you're going to fall into that situation where the most that you really know about cars is what to do with the pedal and the gear stick and and where um the fluids are Yes. So you aren't you aren't a mechanic. You don't become a mechanic. You're you're not interested in high performance sports vehicles. You don't become an expert on changing the oil, bleeding this, and um, I don't know carburetor fan belts. The other. Yes, those are all things in cars, aren't they? Uh, yeah, I think they all connect together. Forever <laughs> shin bone. Am I going to need to learn all that? Not all of it, no, but I think in I think in modern driving tests now, as well as sort of having an understanding of road signs and all of that kind of stuff, you do have to have a basic knowledge of the parts of a car because it ties into car maintenance and stuff. So you I think you will be quizzed on that a little bit as well. So uh the wheels, yeah, the uh the bonnet, yeah, the p- the petrol hole, that yes, the front lights and the back lights. The side mirrors. The door handles. There's the door handles. There's the, the thing that blip, blip, that opens the doors, that unlocks the doors. It doesn't open the doors. I think they're probably going to require that I'm accurate on that yeah, front. Sometimes it's just a key. You should prepare for um, that. Don't leave the keys in the in the boot when you open and close it, because otherwise your wife gets angry at you for scratching, scratching the thing. That's something. Is this all stuff that's going to be on the theory test? Because I was quite worried about the theory test, but I think I've got this. I think you might need to have a little bit more preparation, but, I mean, they could be in there. I mean, I took my theory test back in 1999, so um, it could well have changed a lot in that time. I believe it actually all happens on computer screens now, and that's not me being an old man. That's actually true. I did it on... It was all paper when I did it. In a field! Just some desks in a field, and now there's a whole city there. (laughs) That's just ridiculous enough to be true of the olden days. So that was 1999. The Millennium Bug came along, um, and as I understood it, changed everything. Yeah, it literally changed everything. That's good, because I don't think I know how to work paper anymore. So um, is it likely to be a multiple-choice quiz on a screen? I believe it continues to be multiple-choice, yes. Because I'm pretty good at those. I did one that got handed to me by a person in the street a few years back. Uh, there were lots and lots of questions, mostly yes, no. Mm-hmm. And by the end of it, apparently my results were, I'm desperately unhappy with my life and I need help, which I think means I won the quiz. You see, here's the secret. Um, I, because I was handed one of those as well a, a, a long time ago. One thing that I found really interesting about it, as I was reading through the 200 questions that that was on this leaflet, the same questions would turn up time and time again, but reworded slightly differently. Sometimes going for a positive or a negative answer, which I found fascinating. But I think if you actually complete the 200 questions and send the questionnaire away, that in itself, regardless of the answers you give, is evidence enough that there's something clearly wrong with your life. But yeah, no, I think you might be right. I never did send mine off. Did you send yours off? No. Yeah, it's probably for the best. We might be successful by now. Possibly. I get that. I get the feeling, to be honest. You sort of have to be successful to begin with. Oh, is that how it works? And it, and it helps you become more successful, yeah. If you're not already successful, you tend to just get kept at the bottom and you end up being poorer and shunned. How successful do you suppose John Travolta would be by now? I mean, look at his hair now. He's clearly a very successful man. His hair now looks like an immaculate kind of head mould from a Ken doll, and it's just painted solid black. The lines are very clear. 
he is a beautiful, beautiful man. He 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 can also still dance and apparently. fly planes. Yes, which is pretty cool. I mean, I'm using John Travolta as an example. It could be any famous person in any vaguely scary cult. I'm not trying to single a one particular one out. No, that would be that would be grossly unfair. Yeah, but it's just occurred to me. I've always assumed that people in certain organisations become successful because of that organisation, but we don't know. He could be the king of America by now if he wasn't part of the organisation that he's in. Or maybe he is. Do they have a king in America? I think they do, but I I think John Travolta might actually be the Jack. (laughs) I think there's another actor, a slightly shorter actor, who might actually be the king of America. I think I know who you mean. Mm. Martin Short. Yes, he is the shortest of all actors. I'm not convinced he's actually the short, shortest, physically shortest of actors. Kenny Baker, who played Yoda in the Star Wars films. Mm, it's all mirrors. I think it's still Martin Short. All right, okay. Yeah. I've got nothing more to say about Martin Short. Inner Space was good, though, wasn't it? Inner Space was good, and he was so small in that. No, no, no. That's that was not Randy right. Quaid. Was it Randy Quaid or Dennis Quaid? They injected Dennis Quaid. Was it Dennis Quaid? Quaid? It was one of the Quaids. No, I, you know what? The more I think about it, the more I think it's Dennis. I think, I think Randy Quaid uh, was from Home Alone and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. In Independence Day, uh, Randy Quaid flew um, a, a fighter jet into one of the spaceships. Uh, you might be getting a bit confused because in the... Uh, I don't know if it's, it's... You know, it's always difficult. I don't know if it's going to be a remake of Inner Space or a reboot of Inner Space or a sequel or what um, next year. Apparently, they're going to inject Randy Quaid into Dennis Quaid and then they're going to shrink him down, inject mm. him into Dennis Quaid, mm. and then they're going to shrink Dennis Quaid down and inject him into Martin Short because Dennis Quaid's going to have something that needs fixing and so is Martin Short and Randy Quaid's going to be running around. And, and, and But then, hang on a minute, I think it goes further than that because I think then the Quaids and the Short get reduced and get injected into Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He probably is in it. And then Leonardo DiCaprio and Ellen Page describe everything. <laughs> you might be getting even more confused. Mm. That sounds like the sequel to Inception, which is going to be called Injection. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so there's Injection, and then there's Inner Space Cubed, or whatever it's called, I don't know. And those are both out next year. We were talking about the word irony. We were talking about words that people get wrong. I've Actually, it's interesting you say that, because twice now I've intentionally used the word literally, when actually what I meant was figuratively. Ah. There was li- it is literally the worst day of my life, you know, because I stubbed my toe or something. There's absolutely no way of knowing if it's the worst day of your life until the end of your life, really, mm. is there? Mm. So um, it's not very scientific for a start. But actually, I use literally quite a lot. I have noticed the, the twin things of doing podcasts and using Twitter a lot. Yes. I'm noticing that either I have always had lots of these placeholder words that I kind of know I'm using wrong, but but use them anyway for effect. But it's more clear now because I have this record. <laughs> There's this record of all of the stupid things I say. Um, and actually, now that I think about it, um, sometimes I use literally, but I know that I'm using it wrong, and similar words to it. Mm. And I'm wondering now if all of the times when someone uses a word completely wrong and I go... T- <laughs> They don't know that that's wrong. Um, if maybe, if maybe they've just made the decision because they did, they figured, you know, I know I'm getting this wrong. I'm one example today. 
we had a man round. He kept uh, using the word tact. But what he I mean, he was a lovely man. He really knew his stuff about the su- about his chosen subject. I'm leaving it vague, so if people want to infer that he was like, we'd invited a man round for a threesome or something, well, that's out there now if people... It makes me sound more adventurous and sophisticated than I really am. Yeah, we'll leave that one to the rumour mill. But yeah, and he, but he kept saying we could take a different tact. And at the time I was thinking... <laughs> He means tack. I should tell him. He means tack. That's not tact. He's been using that for probably years now. And he's trying to say we should take a different approach as a sailor might. But now that I think about it, maybe what he's decided is, like us with the word literally, maybe he's figured, well, I'm kind of more going for an effect. And, you know, language is uh, an organic thing and it evolves. And I prefer the word tact in this particular instance. If I keep using it, people are going to start to understand it as being a dual-purpose word that can mean the one thing or mean the other. And, you know, it's not hurting anyone, is it? So maybe that's what's happening whenever anyone does that. It can also just simply be that someone's got something wrong, but they don't even know that they've got it wrong. I, can, I suppose you can always argue that it's ignorance, but um, if, they, if they don't know any different, then it's not kind of a willful ignorance, is it? It can just be an innocent error. But say, for example, he picked it up from someone else and it was a touch of Chinese whispers or they said it wrong or maybe it's just a verbal tick that this person has. I think it's harder with phrases sometimes. Well, they can be misheard like lyrics, can't they? I mean, it's possible that this man has made a deliberate decision to keep using that word. It's possible that he's picked it up from somewhere. It's it's possible that uh, a mentor in his given trade, maybe he picked up the... I mean, we had him around for his expertise in threesomes Mm, keep that going yeah yeah uh maybe he there are certain terms he uses that he picked up because he heard i don't know maybe a a departed parent that he likes to keep close to him by using lots of terms you know that he learned his trade probably not parent if it was threesomes actually thinking about it mum dad milkman it's possible i'm quite uncomfortable with where that went but yeah, so maybe a loved one, maybe a departed loved one, you use the term, and he picked it up from them. And in that case, who am I to be... Who are you to slander the dead? Exactly. And also, I definitely get so many words wrong, it's unbelievable. Would you say it's inconceivable? It's <laughs> Yes, I think it might be inconceivable how many words I get wrong. Yeah, the example of phrases, I, I thought I had something in mind, but I didn't. But I suppose there are other things like slogans and songs and kind of taken to have a meaning, but actually have a completely different meaning. I mean, we, we've been talking about people mistaking certain words, and certainly that's the sort of thing that I find that's always hilarious, but I'm not very good at remembering them. But one thing that always gets me, um, and it's, it mainly happens around pop songs and love songs, there's this thing about love songs. They're not necessarily love songs, about sort of r- r- emotional songs. Mm. That um, The memorable ones, the ones that, that stick, quite often aren't actually love songs. They're often breakup songs or unrequited love songs or whatever. But because we are very closely... Our, our capability for listening is very close uh, hi- historically and biologically and genetically to that of a dog... If the tone of the song is right, the way it's sung, certain lyrical constructions sound romantic enough. We'll almost completely ignore the meaning of the song, (laughs) the the overall meaning of the song, because it makes us feel romantic. And if it makes us feel romantic, if there's one line in there where someone's saying, I miss you, I need you, I love you, we'll miss out the whole verse 
towards the end, which explains that the reason he misses her is because he's killed her and, and buried her in a ditch somewhere. That's one thing when someone's, like, getting a dedication done on a radio. I don't know if people still do that. You know, dedicating a song to a loved one or whatever. Mm. But it's something completely different when it's, uh, for example, used as a first dance at a wedding. The reason I'm quite preoccupied by this is because this is something that uh, when my wife and I were were planning our wedding, we were kind of preoccupied with not picking a song that was hideously inappropriate. But at the same time, we we realised we find the idea of hideously inappropriate songs that people have at their weddings hilarious. I don't know. I don't know exactly what it's like in the US or in in other parts of the world. But we have two or three staples that are just hideously inappropriate songs. I can give you a couple of examples. Mm, go ahead. Um, You're beautiful by James Blunt is um, inappropriate because it's an absolutely hideous song, hideously <laughs> mawkish. But it's, al- it's also inappropriate because it isn't about romantic love. It's all about, like, longing for something that isn't there. Every Breath You Take by The Police, which is about uh, being a stalker. One thing, um, one thing I read about earlier today, which I find really strange, and I can't really imagine this because it's more tragic than anything else, is that some people have used Candle in the Wind by Elton John um, as their first dance. That song has just never been about anything good. It isn't about anything except someone that you never met who died before you were born. The, the lyrics are so dead on and explicit that it, it's quite it couldn't clear, be isn't about it? anything yeah. else. Yeah, it really is. And there's another one, and I love this. I actually found the lyrics for this. It's, um, there's a song called uh, Baby Now That I Found You. There's a version of it by Alison Krauss, which I think was probably in a film and now gets used all over the place. But... Um, it's quite an old song. I don't know if it's a Motown song or, or something like that. I vaguely remember the Four Tops or someone singing it. And on the surface, it's quite sweet. You know, if you just literally read the first two lyrics, the first two lyrics are, Baby, now that I've found you, I won't let you go. I built my world around you. I need you so. You see, that sounds quite nice. You can see if someone had heard those, literally the first three lines of the song... Um, that maybe that would seem to encapsulate how they feel about the person. So, uh, I need you so, mm-hmm. and then immediately after that, baby, even though you don't need me. Yeah. That's the next lyric. Uh, baby, now that I found you, I, I'm not just reading the same thing over again. It's just, it's got a lot of repetition in it because it's a, a silly song. And now I found you, I let you go. I built my world around you. Um, that's just the same again. That's repeat. They could have just written repeat on the lyrics thing. I might write them a comment about that. Uh, baby, baby, when first we met, I knew in this heart of mine that you were someone I couldn't forget. I said, right, I'll bide my time. It's not a good sign if you have to really bide your time for ages. I mean, I waited around maybe two or three weeks for, for my wife, uh, to realise she was crazy about me, but, um... I don't know. You shouldn't have to bide your time for too long. It doesn't say that the relationship's going to be that great necessarily. Um, especially, especially if you know you'd built your world around them that early on as well. Yeah, it's a sure sign that you're depend a bit too dependent yeah. on them. And I can't imagine the infrastructure would stand up to much scrutiny. Hmm, no, well, no. Um, spent my life looking for that somebody to make me feel like new. Now, what I'd have to say in this circumstance is, if this person was was telling me this about their relationship, I would say, you can't go looking for the answers to your life and your situation in someone else. You'll never be happy if you look to other people for your happiness. 
So don't spend your life looking for that somebody to make you feel like new. Um, but then in the next line, now you tell me that you want to leave me, uh, but darling, I just can't let you. So not only is the other person out the door already, but her response is that she's not going to let him go. This is not a good first dance song. I think it might have been the Foundations that sang it before Alison Krauss. That's definitely, almost certainly, probably, I can say with confidence that that isn't the name of a band that I have heard and it is possibly in relation to this song. Oh, I should just I should just say that the rest of the lyrics are pretty much repeat to fade yeah, on that one. Yeah, it tends like to all, be the way. Like all the best pop songs. Um, oh, fucking cock. Steve, I'm leaving it recording. Um, the reason I'm doing this is so that if you've left it recording at your end, you will find it easier to connect these all up together. It looks like you've come back online now, so I will I will speak to you uh, momentarily, hopefully. Hope, hope. My fingers are crossed, so are my toes. Can't get my testicles to do it. Um, that's something I can practice for next time if this is likely to keep happening. I mean, I don't know, that might actually hurt a little bit. Just my fingers, the circulation is starting to go in those a little bit just from doing it. So I'll probably leave the testicles out. Baby, now that I've found you, I can let you go. I built my world around you. And even though you don't need me, though, I still need you. Hang on. Baby, now I've found, found you, I will let you blah, blah, go. Blah, blah, blah. I put my world around you. I need you so, baby, even though you don't need me. You don't need me. Do-do-do. You will see, I don't even know how the verses work. Wow, she gets a bit creepy here. Now that I found you, I can't let you go. Build my world around you, I need you so. Baby, even though you don't need me, you don't need me. It's going to be an earworm for me, isn't it? And it's an orange light. It should go green quick. If it doesn't go green quick, it'll do that. There we go. Fuck. How are we going to finish this show? La, 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 la. Now that I've found you, I'm going to buy you chips. Fish and chips in... Um... Rice slip. And repeat to fade. Okay, we're making a call. It is three minutes past ten. <laughs> energy. Yes, energy, energy. <laughs> Fucking hell, right. So on a sort of a similar theme to the um, songs, you know, with essentially inappropriate context for uh, for a first dance, there's a very similar thing that happened in preparing for my dad's funeral. Um, now, ordinarily, you can plan for this. You can jot it down and say, you know, at my funeral, I'd like such and such a song played or whatever. It's maybe your favourite song or 
just how you'd see yourself being seen off. Do you know what I mean? But because uh, my dad's death was quite sudden, it wasn't it wasn't um, something that um, he'd prepared for. So it was down to my mum to do, and she was thinking about um, you know a song that would be that would be played at the funeral. And I think she sort of thought about it in the wrong way because instead of and it's understandable because obviously he just passed away. We were making the funeral plans and stuff like that, and you're still quite wrapped up in the pain and and, and in the loss. So um, she decided to put forward a song by uh, Bonnie Tyler, which when we were told about it, uh, we both said straight away, no, hang on a minute, have you really thought about this? It's a 1977 song uh, by Bonnie Tyler called It's a Heartache. My dad died of a heart attack. And we both said, we both said you can't pick that. Because it's, it just, it, from my mum's point of view, it was like, it's sad you know, it's sad he's gone. You know, it's it's a heartache. It's a very sad thing. We're like, he died of a heart attack. He died of heartache. His heart ached and exploded and he died. Mm. I mean, if you were trying to be funny, I guess it would be okay. But, in, but that in, wasn't her intention. Yeah, in I don't instance. think that means what you think it means. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. It's actually it's actually a very humorous anecdote, but it's a very hard thing to tell. <laughs> no, I can imagine. By setting the scene, setting the context, it's just kind of, oh, God, it's a serious story. But actually, it's just like, no, she picked a really stupid song. <laughs> and we said, no, pick again. And we picked something that was a lot more, uh, a lot more sensible and something that, that we knew that he'd like, and it was, it was totally fine. I still haven't decided what I want as the first dance at my funeral. The first dance... <laughs> The first dance on your grave after the funeral. <laughs> At the moment, I feel like I want When the Man Comes Around by Johnny Cash, but it's it's possible I'll be a, a less sardonic person, uh, hopefully by the time I get to make my final choice on that one. Mm. My uncle my uncle um, went out with uh, a song called um, Pub With No Beer. That's a bit weird. I mean, if you knew him, he went to the pub an awful lot. It's sort of, it's sort of about him in a way. It's a fun song, but um, is um, yeah. is comfortably numb a bit of a downer? It's long. It's got a nice guitar solo, I guess. That's. Um, I mean, the Pink Floyd version. Yeah, any other version would be inconceivable. <laughs> so, um, I guess we're ending on funerals. Is, is... I don't know. I don't think that's such a good idea. <laughs> I mean, I get the feeling the show sort of died a death anyway. Maybe, um, <laughs> eh? Look, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be honest with you, listener. The recording of tonight's show has been hampered by constant internet dropouts from my end, um, which has made this an incredibly awkward show to put together to record. Because every time we get into something, we lose the internet connection. We've got to pick up the pace again. So it's been very, very tricky. And that's definitely uh, my um, argument for anything that sounds a little bit awkward. I want to leave you with a few words, Steve, because it's the new year, and so it's a good time uh, for, you know, pearls of wisdom, especially pearls of wisdom that don't really mean anything, uh, but people like them because they sound reassuring. Because, I'm reading off a piece of paper here, this is, uh, this is the season of failure, and it's the best time for sowing the seeds of success. Mm. apparently i have a colleague at work who got one of those you know the uh calendars with the uh they've got like a, a number for the day and you pull the number off they're not like you don't see the whole month at once you get the thing that says today is tuesday the first of january 
um, not today isn't, but but um, but it, it was on the piece of paper that I've got right mm. now. Okay. And you pull it off, and and in, and then it shows you that the next day is the second of January. So in, in case you're the sort of person who might forget, you can as long as you remember to take the piece of paper off every day, you will always know what day it is when you are in front of this calendar thing. Um, but this one, uh, they brought in the first few days of it to uh, work because this one has uh, little phrases and sayings on them. Mm-hmm. And the first one says, the season of failure is the best time for sowing the seeds of success. Now, what that suggests is, uh, I guess, that this beginning part of the year is the season of failure. We fucked up the last year. It ran out on us. It's either saying that or it's saying you've made a whole bunch of resolutions and you've already messed them up. It's the first, you've already uh, ruined the whole year and you've barely even started. So that's the first one. But the one that really maddened me, and it, com- it comes under the heading of those, those things that people say and they sound really wise, but they don't seem to mean exactly. There's, there's too many readings of them that just don't make any sense. Hmm. Um, the entry for Monday the 7th of January says, Today's problems are tomorrow's memories. If you've got some quite well-meaning, lovely like colleague or friend uh well or, or acquaintance probably more than more than friend unless you're particularly masochistic and they say something like that to you they say it in a nice bright and breezy voice oh you know today's problems are tomorrow's memories you know that what they think they're saying is yeah it all seems so bad today but by tomorrow it'll be a memory don't worry about it yeah that's yeah. a fair reading isn't it if a nice person said that that's what you think they think they mean But I heard that, and all I thought was, what I'm certain it's saying, in fact, um, this bad thing that is happening right now, it's going to be a part of your life forever. (laughs) It'll be over by the end of today, but you are never going to forget this thing. It suggests, like, you're going to look back on it fondly as well. Except that, like, memories generally, memories of bad things you carry around literally for the, for the, literally for the rest of your life. And memories are unreliable anyway, so, you know, you're going to have a skewed version of events in your head. This isn't very good advice. In fact, it's possible that the problem itself will seem much, much worse when you remember it later on. Mm. I mean, I don't even know if it's advice. It's just one of those sayings. It doesn't. It's. It sounds reassuring, but it doesn't mean anything at all. It doesn't mean anything good. Oh yeah, today's problems are tomorrow's memories. If you eat a sandwich now, you'll probably end up pooping it out later. If you don't uh, de-ice your car, you won't be able to see out the window. It's just. It's a statement, really, isn't it? It's a statement dressed up as positive af- aphorism, aphorism. If this calendar was mine and I got to Monday the 8th of January and there wasn't some sort of callback to the previous day's statement, I'd probably be a bit annoyed as well from a narrative point of view. So you'd expect it to say, today's problems are tomorrow's memories, and then on Monday the 8th of January it'll say, remember that problem you had yesterday? And then that would be like a narrative loop. There'd be closure there. I'd feel better about the calendar. Whereas now, at this point in time, I just literally want to rip it to shreds. But I can't, because it isn't mine. It was the lady at works, so... Today's troubles will be tomorrow's Peter K routine. Today's troubles will be the equivalent to Peter K's in the future routine, because basically he generally talks about stuff that happened at school, didn't he? So um, I think there's about a 15-year half-life on a Peter K experience before it becomes part of his routine. 
Yeah, see, in, in that respect, it doesn't work either because then it's sort of setting up a false promise that in 15 years' time, Peter Kay's going to talk about you. But you could have a quite unique issue that he wouldn't even know about. So, and, so unless he was open for submissions and you wrote in and said, Peter, could you park this one? I think in 15 years' time, it's going to be really <laughs> useful to you. In 15 years, everyone's going to be, uh, everyone's going to have fond memories of their, their computer not working or their HR department um, ruining their lives. Or um, That didn't happen to me, by the way. I'm just, it was just an example. Their feckless middle manager ruining their lives. That didn't happen to me either. I'm just coming up with examples. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Sometimes it's really annoying when people get stuff wrong. The thing we have to accept, though, um, especially because we've pretty much based an entire podcast concept on it, is that anyone can get words wrong <laughs> and not really understand exactly what it is they're talking <laughs> about. And we shouldn't be too hard on each other. There's, um, generally speaking, an inner truth. You can either work out what the person means or you can work out something about them yes. uh, from the things they say. If someone is, for example, uh, talking to you um, with real confidence about a subject but you know they're getting stuff wrong but they're really trying to deliver with confidence they might just be an asshole but it's quite likely that they want you to respect them in some way and that's not a bad thing it's a weird way of going about it but i think all of us have that in us a little mm, bit mm. we don't like to appear uncertain so we are more likely to deliver stuff with confidence uh, then we are to admit sometimes that we don't necessarily entirely understand what we're talking about. Again, unless we've written it into the mission statement of uh, the show we're putting on. Yeah. Which some people might be smart enough to do. I don't know. Should we bring it home or did I just bring it home? What does bring it home mean exactly? Do we know? If you really want to know, it's uh, it's a it's a term used in um, professional wrestling. Is it? Yes, it is. To bring it home, or or, or more commonly um, used, uh, take it home is an instruction that is often given to one or both of the wrestlers by the referee to instruct the wrestlers to um, to wrap up the match, to take it right. home. Right. It's not said incredibly loud so everyone can hear it. It's just sort of muttered amid all the. The, the crowd noise but yeah if there's basically if he says take it home it's like you've got a minute or two minutes to do your finishing sequence and it's the end of the match finish her off now that sounds slightly misogynistic mm. or a bit porny i think it's yeah it's a different industry i think you're referring to there um apparently uh, throw the towel in is is straight out of porn i have discovered recently from a friend of mine which is interesting because i would have thought that was a, a boxing term Mm, yeah, she, me too. She she seemed to think it was to do with porn. It's uh, you, you mentioning a bring it home was interesting because I was doing a quick Google search at the same time, and the second entry was uh, about IKEA <laughs> and home delivery, which which is kind of full circle. I guess the only way you could logistically have ten thousand spoons all in one place is to have it delivered. I mean, there's no way you could fit that in the back of your own hatchback, is it? I mean, you might get a couple of thousand if you fold the rear seats down. How would they pack them? I've no idea what uh, what even a hundred spoons would look like. Are we talking about big spoons or like teaspoons? Yeah, tablespoons. You you might be able to fit them in a car, but I don't think your car would like it very much. Um, it'd be quite heavy, wouldn't it? Mm. 
thing about IKEA is the stuff always looks like it's smaller. When you pull it off the shelf, you always kind of get the feeling it's going to fit in the car. Um, and quite often you get it out to the car and realise it's not going to anyway. Unless you're really confident about the size of your car, I don't know. What I mean is, whenever we've gone to buy anything, we've always thought we're going to be able to fit it in the car, and we hardly ever do. <laughs> so, um, so again, I might be, I'm taking my personal experience, what I believe to be the case, and uh, and applying it to the rest of the world, which, you know, gets me through the day. It's a traffic jam when you're already late. It's no smoking sign on your cigarette break. It's like 10,000 spoons when all you need is a knife. It's like meeting the man of my dreams and then meeting his beautiful wife. (laughs) Isn't it ironic? You're beautiful, you're beautiful, you're beautiful, it's true. There's something sin from that when I want to draw. But apparently, I'm